Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Andy Klein, the editorial director here at QSR Magazine, and joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley. So this week, we are chatting with Del Taco CMO, Tim Hackbart. And as you might start to realize, I'm getting better at pronouncing names because I'm taking the added step of making sure I know how to pronounce them before I actually hit record. Seen evolution in my character these days, but... Mm. You know, Tim has uh, led a lot of interesting initiatives at Del Taco. I'm going to allow him to introduce himself and the brand first before we get into it. But first of all, Tim, thank you for joining us. You know, we appreciate the time as always. Hey, thank you guys, Danny and Ben. Sure. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about your background, um, about the brand? You know, I think people are pretty familiar with Del Taco, but just, you know, on the happen chance that they are not. <laughs> sure. So background, uh, uh, I've been doing restaurant marketing for many, many years. I, I, I can't even believe how many years now, over 30 years. And um, uh, whether I was working at a brand uh, or I owned an advertising agency for a while, I also owned an international uh, restaurant chain consulting firm for a while, uh, now have worked on 25 restaurant chains um, from fast food to uh, big box casual or polished casual dining, so kind of everything in between. So, pretty pretty interesting, pretty interesting life in that respect. Uh, Del Taco, um, over six hundred locations in sixteen states uh, across the United States, and uh, and growing. I'm very happy about that. Uh, we are known for. Uh, being the fresher alternative in the QSR space uh, for Mexican. And we, um, we grate our cheese uh, all throughout the day from 40-pound blocks of aged cheddar cheese. We actually cook our beans completely from scratch. It takes us uh, like two and a half, three and a half hours to cook those guys. Um, we grill our chicken uh, fresh and our steak fresh. Um, and, uh, do a lot of other, uh, fresh preps, such as, uh, we actually make our own pico de gallo from scratch as well. Uh, so very interesting that a, you know, fast food QSR does, does all of those types of fresh ingredients and prep. Uh, and most recently in 2020, uh, we launched where we actually make our guacamole from scratch as well now. So what was, uh, what was your first job in the restaurant industry? That is a great question. <laughs> And it is a classic Hackbart story. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to college in uh, in the 80s. And uh, I uh, the deal was that I would pay for a third. My mom would pay for a third. My dad would pay for a third of college. And I would work very, very hard during the summer because I didn't really want to work while I was going to school. Um, and uh, long story short is I, I had a little too much fun in the junior year and burned through my cash early. Oh, God. <laughs> so I needed to get a job and before the internet, of course, I walked down to the, U the union center, looked on the cork board for the three by five cards for the job jobs that were available. And it said, uh, 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 the local pizza hut needed a local store marketing person, uh, for 12 hours a week at minimum wage. And it was three blocks or four blocks from the union center. I walked over there. Just walked in unannounced, got an interview, got the job on the spot. 
And from there, I thought, well, I'm trying to get this marketing degree and everything. I should, I should really use this because I'm going to graduate in two years. You know, let's see if I can put some points on the board, have something on my resume that I can really show, right? When I get out of there. Uh, and that's what I put my mind to. And we took that unit. Uh, the guy had, uh, the franchisee had 36 locations. And we took that location from number 12 to number two within two years uh, in his portfolio and did all kinds of crazy things uh, and, and drove sales like, like you can't believe. Like one thing I did was uh, uh, we had sort of this Woodstock kind of concert outside of town for college, for the college students, literally like you could bring your own kegs and just bring them out in the field and watch, you know, like six bad college bands, you know, throughout the day. <laughs> And uh, it was a big deal. And um, there was no food out there. They didn't, they didn't serve any food. Everybody brought their own stuff. And so I went to the organizers and I said, well, hey, you know, I've got these two pickup trucks and I can put 50 pizzas in each one of them and haul them back and forth out there. And, you know, I could, I could be selling pizza all day out there and I'll give you guys a cut. And, um, and they did. And I sold $5,000 of pizza that day by the slice. Hmm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing about the restaurant industry, right? You know, you yep. just uh, figure it out. <laughs> you just figure it out. Just make it happen. You know, I mean, uh-huh. yeah. So we did lots of you know really great stuff, and I was able to walk out of there with a really good portfolio to be able to uh, you know go get my first job after that. But that was my first restaurant job, and it oddly happened to be a restaurant marketing job. Um, but of course I needed, you know, I always wanted more money and that kind of thing. So I also delivered pizzas and waited tables. It, it was an old red roof and everything. So I did all, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, what, what was local store marketing like back then? I, I think in our minds, it's really how many coupons could I shove into the mailbox back? You know, <laughs> I mean, that was only like 10 years ago, but, uh, you know, what, what was it like back then other than, you know, your concert anecdote was cool. I mean, what, what else, I mean, what was kind of the status quo of it, you know, when you walked in the door? Uh, so status quo was um, because it was a, you know, large chain. There was the three ring binder uh, from Pizza Hut Incorporated uh, that had the local store marketing, you know, binder that had the different programs that they had come up with. So you did have something to go off of. Uh, with that. Um, but then, you know, I realize it's like, okay, you only get so much out of that and I want to kind of make a big bang. So I'm always looking for like, okay, how can I find that, you know, $2,000 opportunity, $5,000 opportunity, like the concert. Uh, so for example, in the summer, uh, there was a, um, uh, the university was the center for um, special Olympics. Okay. And all the kids would come in from all over the state and they would have the special Olympics there during that, during a week. And uh, I just literally called the head of special Olympics for the state of Michigan. And I was able to get the actual list and names of all the, all the different directors of all the different areas. And I contacted all of them and gave them a special offer. And we just got killed because they had a whole bunch of kids in dorms, that they want to feed pizza to. And uh, I'm the only one that knocked on their door. <laughs> so all those buses that were coming in were literally ordering pizzas. We were, we were, we were, we were so out of dough. <laughs> yes. we're trying to like make dough really fast and everything. It was crazy, you know? So things like that, you know, you look for those opportunities um, and, and figure it out. Uh, another one was um, 
the uh, I got to be best friends with the Parks and Rec Department. Uh, I figured out that the Parks and Rec Department were having all these programs for kids. Okay, and so what we did is we made sure that every single one of their you know field days or special things that they were doing, uh, a personal pan pizza uh, was the reward. And the strategy was kids can't drive. So I'll give them a free personal pan pizza, which back then I think was food cost of like a quarter or 50 cents or something like that. And I know that, you know, grandma or grandpa or mom and dad are going to come and bring them for that reward. And, you know, you'll get that extra thing. It's, it's, it was nothing, right, to get that bigger family purchase. Um, and so we, we, we own the Parks and Rec Department. Uh, yeah, I mean, this. I- Kind of speaks to the ingenuity things. I'm going to ask you a very new age question before we get directly wow. into Del Taco here, just to kind of build off of that to show the difference of, of what's happening. But I was just at a conference here talking about technology a lot, and I got asked a question um, from the crowd about NFTs, and I couldn't answer it because I have a very passing glance of what that even is but the question was are they going to play a role in restaurant marketing and the rewards side of things and whether or not that's a metaverse is even a thing for for brands i mean what do you think about that that whole existence of of uh this side of your job now if it even is part of your job now or, or what do you just think about nfts and crypto and all of that you know fun stuff well obviously it's still the early days right and we'll see where it all plays out. There will be something there uh, because if, if nothing else in the metaverse, it'll be another, another point of access to order, right? Uh, in some way, shape or form. Um, so it'll, it'll all be something and it's something that everyone's going to have to get involved in uh, and figure out how it's going to work. It's a little crazy on how financially it all works right now. <laughs> And, you know, claiming space and, okay, you're going to go in there and claim space, but is that, is that metaverse there even going to exist, you know, a couple of years from now after you buy all that space and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, uh, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to figure out and it's going to be um, very, very interesting to figure out like what is the right point in time to jump in um, and, and who can jump in at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, another major trend that's um, extremely relevant today is the idea of value, especially um, in the face of you know ongoing inflation and, and menu prices rising. And I know you guys um, leaned heavily into that with your um, twenty under two dollar um, menu that you guys um, released. I was hoping you kind of take us through the background of the the formation of that menu and. Some of the, I guess, some of the early results you kind of seen or maybe anecdotally, um, qualitatively, quantitatively, what you guys have kind of gotten out of that, um, that value position. Sure. So we'll take you sort of back in time so that the audience can kind of understand how we got to where we are. Uh, So for those who don't know Del Taco well, um, we have been known for a very interesting strategy. Many call many people call it the barbell strategy, right. where we're able to actually execute, um, not only really uh, be known for value, okay, on the lower end of the price point, uh, but we're also actually known for um, mid-tier and premium products as well, especially because we're able to talk about our fresh guacamole and all the fresh ingredients 
uh, and, and some really good premium products like our Epic Burritos, uh, which are very much competitive with what you would get in a fast casual restaurant uh, on the Mexican side of things. So we've kind of spanned the gamut on our menu uh, with quite a, quite a great variety depending on what your occasion is and what you need. Uh, so for quite a few years, uh, we have had kind of your, your dollar menu, uh, for lack of a better term. Most recently, it was called Dell's Dollar Deals. Right. Um, and kind of a mainstay. Um, it, it, it's great for folks who want to have just a, like a bite to eat in the afternoon or add it onto their meal. It gives them more variety. There's a lot of kind of fun flavors in it. Um, and as we were getting into uh, third quarter of 2020, we started to kind of see this inflationary pressure, right, on restaurants. Uh, and what we started to see was the um, uh, the other chains were abandoning their position uh, on the value side of the equation. Okay, and you would go. One day, I just went out and took pictures and looked at everything. I, I knew it was happening, but I just kind of wanted to see it, you know, in totality. Uh, and kind of put the th photos up on the wall. And what we really kind of found out was, wow, everybody's just abandoned this part of the part of the uh, business. Okay. Yes, maybe they still had that name that they used for their value menu, but the products on there would be over two dollars. They would be sometimes three dollars for a hamburger, right? And but they still had the original name of the value menu, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really functional like that anymore, right? right? And then as we, you know, started to approach fourth quarter, we're like, okay, you can see how inflation's just taken off now, right? And the bet that we made was that uh, our competitors were not going to, you know, continue to support that part of the menu, uh, which has now come true. There's nobody really playing in that space, especially in totality like we are. Uh, so we, we developed this 20 under two menu, uh, which did a couple of things, kept us in the value game, has a very wide variety, very easy for the customer to understand. They can get a lot of things at a very good price. Okay. Uh, one of the other strategies uh, behind it is um, we wanted to be able to offer our customer not only things that were very affordable, but also had some really great flavors and freshness in it too. So in that 20 under two menu, you can purchase like, um, you know, some really great street tacos uh, with guacamole for under $2. Like you can't get that kind of price, you know, anywhere else for that kind of quality with fresh chicken and fresh guacamole. So we wanted to make sure that, yeah, we want to have things inexpensive and very affordable, but we also want to have things with really great flavor, great freshness, right? All throughout that menu. Uh, and one of the other pieces of the strategy is we really opened up our, our drink menu inside of that too. So we have many shakes, we have um, uh, two beverages uh, that are pretty interesting, which is um, uh, lemonade and Sprite with real strawberries in them. Uh, so again, really cool flavors, lots of options uh, for the customer to come back again and again and again and have a different experience every single time. So, so you mentioned in there something really interesting about quick serves abandoning value. I think we can all agree that is definitely true. You know, the tiered value menus or the dollar menus seem to be pretty much gone. Um, yep. But what do you think about now in kind of this second half of the year? Do you think that they're going to be, uh, you know, obviously you're ahead of this, but are there going to be other competitors who maybe you're thinking like you all are that I've got to get into this world now because, you know, 
nobody else is doing it or prices are soaring on gas, of course, and all these other things in everybody's lives that they're going to be a little bit of a push back into value or did, have we gone so far that most of these <laughs> brands aren't coming back? <laughs> I think there's a lot of hurdles in front of the other brands and whenever, you know, a, a, a brand like ours at 600 units, uh, you know, feels something like that. It's generally from one of the major competitors, right? Um, and there's a lot of hurdles in the way of that happening. Um, number one is, uh, the time to develop the menu, right? So generally those brands aren't just going to put something out unless they go and test it. Uh, and so they have to move really fast to kind of hit this window. So to, to see that happening early, maybe somebody's doing it. Uh, maybe it can happen, um, but that they'd really have to speed up to make, to make that happen, especially to kind of hit the variety that we did, right? Because 20 items, that's a lot. You know, how are you going to hit that? Could they come out and maybe hit four or five items, maybe, you know, and repackage some stuff that might be able to happen. But, you know, the, the franchise base of those organizations are going to want to see testing and they're going to want to see how the money really works. Right. And that takes time you know, to do that. Um, the other piece is just on a development of product situation, you know, um, major chains have to work with suppliers that can actually produce all that product for them. And they have to gear up for that. And with the suppliers having issues with, you know, labor and them just getting their ingredients, you know, to be able to supply, you know, a 3000 unit chain, right? That's a lot to ask today because uh, suppliers are having a real issue as well. Um, so you kind of take all of that into account. Yeah, there may be some really good conversations happening right now, but, you know, are you going to see something flip? you know, the flip of the switch tomorrow. Don't know that, that that's, those are quite a few hurdles to overcome for major size chains. Yeah. You know, one, one of the ways that you answered that question, I think uh, answers something that a lot of people have been asking me who, you know, kind of aren't, you know, too familiar with the inner workings of franchising and just large multi-unit chains, which is they've got to launch new products to get back into this game because it's kind of hard to imagine them suddenly charging a dollar for something that's, they, you know, raised right. to $3 in the last. Right. Right. You're um, going to drop prices today. Right. That's exactly. There's no real reason to, <laughs> right. You know, so I think people have been asking me that, are they going to just go back? You know, are they going to bring it back down when gas comes down? And I, we can pretty much already see that gas isn't even coming down, no. you know, and it probably will to an extent, but I, I don't think prices generally speaking are going to come flooding back down after going back up. You know, it's no, so you're going to have to create new products and, and, you know, and uh, uh, really engineer things. Right. And that takes time. Yeah. Um. One in, in relation to the whole um price discussion, you know, I've I've talked to um, multiple operators, you know, about what the future may be, and um, I spoke to recently an operator of a fast casual in Florida. He runs a barbecue chain down there, and he was really adamant that there's going to be a point where customers are not going to um take on these increasing prices anymore. There's going to be a stage where they're going to turn away and they're going to go to alternatives. Do you, do you anticipate um, um, a future in which, you know, customers, you know, a lot nowadays, like every single brand is saying that, you know, we're raising prices, but you know, customers, we haven't seen any kind of pushback and every brand seems to be saying that. 
do you kind of anticipate um, maybe months or maybe soon where that pushback is starting to become evident and it's becoming a lot more widespread? Or do you just see customers continuing to kind of swallow these these increases. You know what's interesting about that quickly on a side is that you wrote that article but then you also wrote that Panera chicken sandwich article where they're charging a starting point of $11 for yeah. <laughs> for a chicken sandwich. And you know, I, uh, when I posted that earlier there were some people who were saying, "Wow, that's kind of a high price." But then again, I guess everything costs 10.99, but that right. is a sign of two sides of the same equation right now. Panera is obviously for something that yeah, probably be seven ninety nine a year ago. Well, well, the interesting thing about that, before um, we get to his answer, the the way they they kind of describe the sandwich, they make it seem so you know crafty and like all these like emerald greens and um, parmesan chips. I guess to kind of justify that price range, but still though, that's that's expensive that's, for a chicken sandwich. It just yeah. Is. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're hiding that fact. You know, normally you might pay that for like the pick two premium or something, but um, yeah, for just a straight up sandwich, that to me was striking in terms of what's happening broadly. Yeah. Anyway, Tim, <laughs> if you have an expert <laughs> answer to what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there's definitely a tipping point. Okay. Um, so this week, uh, I'm a subscriber. I'm an old school subscriber to the paper version of the Wall Street Journal. It shows up on my on my doorstep every day, you know. And uh, <clears throat> there's a there's that that first article that you saw from those guys that you know really talked about that that's starting to happen. Okay, now they kind of talked about it more in in regards to retail. And one of the examples they gave is there is a uh, clothing yeah. chain. And they raise their prices on sort of like, you know, basic T-shirts over $20 and the revolt happened, Uh right? They crossed that line, right? And they quickly retreated (laughs) (laughs) because that was sort of that entry-level product. Oh, I'm going to go get this, but then I'd buy the other products while I'm there or online or whatever, right? That kind of a thing. Um, and so you're starting to, you know, kind of see that and you're starting to see the gas price finally, you know, decrease the amount of people driving around. Right. Um, and in, in, in certainly, you know, you've got lower income, middle income, high income, that kind of a thing. Um, and certainly, you know, the lower income is really going to get affected by, you know, those gas prices. That's going to be you know, you know, a definite issue. Uh, and again, it kind of goes back to our original strategy while our, while our competitors are just raising a lot of price, doing it mostly on the top end of things. Um, you know, we're, we're in a really good place where we've got a really good solid value menu. We've got a really good solid mid-tier and solid premium area. And we can really cater to all of those different needs and occasions. Uh, just feel like we're in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you know, it it feels like also speaking of revolts that, you know, some brands are almost forcing the hand into a revolt on the delivery side because they're charging such high premiums in there and then offering you either regular pricing or some kind of incentive to come direct through a loyalty or awards platform or really any way that they can get data from you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, to me, that seems to be maybe we're kind of a behind the curtain value game is happening in quick service right now is 
you know, kind of upcharging in one channel to get someone to go through another. And I don't know whether or not the consumer is really cognizant of that happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that something that you think has legs? I mean, we all know the value of data and marketing and of course the ability to tailor, you know, that personalization digitally the same way if Mm -hmm. someone was actually in the store now, but I mean, where do you see that movement going right now? I think you kind of talked about two things there. You were on delivery at one point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I ramble got, sometimes. Then got, yeah, then so. you kind of get into the loyalty and you know, app kind of thing, right? So let's kind of talk about both of those. So delivery is going to be very interesting because, you know, was it last week you started to see the fuel sur- surcharges from the delivery providers, you know, get enacted, right? Don't know if that's the first wave, if there's another wave after that, uh, but that's certainly, you know, a new charge to the customer. Um, And then you have the delivery, you know, uh, markups that many chains do as well. And, you know, at some point in time that adds up. Now, what we what we seem to see um, in uh, behavior and data and activity uh, is that uh, that delivery user is a little more elastic. Uh, it's definitely a convenience factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a little inside info on that because my, my daughter does Instacart um, <laughs> as, a, as a driver. And she tells me all the crazy things that people pay for. They're just ridiculous. Like she had to drive 45 miles one time to deliver a, a, $120 bottle of tequila to somebody because they really wanted that tequila. And it was only available at this one store in San Diego County hmm. and they paid for it. Right. I mean, just crazy stuff like that, that she delivers all the time, Yeah, you know, I so it's a little it. bit different, you know, on that end. Uh, and I remember when delivery first started, there are all these focus groups that, you know, we, we got to see information on and everything and it was totally convenient. It was just like, yeah, I'm just lazy. I don't really want to go out, you know, or I'm working a lot, you know, in my house and I just, you know, I just want to have what I want to have. And I figure if I stop, it costs me more money to stop than just to order delivery. It's a big convenience place. So there tends to be more elasticity on that side for sure. Otherwise brands wouldn't be getting away with all the, all the, all the markups. Right. And, and the charges from the delivery providers, et cetera. So, you know, that seems like there's some, there's probably a tipping point, but, you know, we'll see, we'll see on that side. The other side that you talked about was, um, you know, loyalty and, hey, is there a lot of discounting going on inside of there? And we think we really see that happening more and more and more um, is certainly um, brands are offering uh, very good opportunities and discounts through their mobile app. Um, betting on that they're going to get, you know, more loyalty, more frequency, uh, more data, um, and be smarter about how they're marketing. Um, and that's certainly a trend. You know, I was just thinking a minute ago about, remember we talked a while back and you had this, uh, this crispy tiger thing going yeah. on with the, <laughs> with kind of that mascot. Um, yeah. I was just wondering, kind of, you have anything kind of in that realm currently? I mean, that was a very unique marketing angle. If you want to tell people kind of what that is, if you want to explain to them, obviously better than I could, but that stood out to me. Um, for some reason, I remembered that over <laughs> over the years. Yeah, we were we were the first folks to launch um, crispy uh, chicken, you know, fried chicken or whatever, right? In a uh, 
uh, in QSR Mexican. And um, uh, when, you know, the whole fried chicken thing was going crazy in 2020. Um, and um, so we were, <laughs> we were trying to figure out like, what's that ad campaign? What's that kind of hook, you know, to get people's attention. And uh, our advertising agency came up with this idea that maybe there's this guy that's trolling us uh, on social media and his name's Chris P and he's just crazy about crispy chicken. Right. But that's his name, Chris P. Uh, that's his handle kind of a thing. And we're like, wait a minute, that's kind of a cool idea. Maybe we make that into the campaign and that's our, that's our character. Right. And eventually uh, that's what happened. And um, how we worked, it was Chris P was a music artist, you know, kind of like iced tea or something like that. Right. Uh, and, uh, uh, and throughout that campaign, every time we had a new crispy chicken taco that, cause we did all these different flavors, honey mango and Cholula we put on it. Okay. Every time we had a different flavor, he would be in a different band, right? He'd be different singing a different genre and people kind of look forward to, okay, what is he going to, what's, what's he going to be in next? So he was, a you know, for Cholula, he was a, a crispy tiger. So it was a big, you know, hair metal band. Um, and then he got in a boy band, uh, and then we got to barbecue. He was a country singer. Uh, so, you know, he kind of took him through a bunch of different music genres, which was pretty fun for everybody to watch. <laughs> That's quite interesting. Um, so, you know, we, we've always talked about, you know, how restaurants have had to adapt during COVID, you know, the acceleration of certain trends, but when it comes, maybe if we could kind of pivot that to, you know, your responsibilities as a, as a marketing executive, um, would you say that your responsibilities or what you've had to, what your jobs required of you has shifted at all, um, due to COVID? It, would, or is it still pretty the same or is it kind of in different kind of realm you're kind of playing in right now? I'd say the biggest change is you have to have about six backup plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. Welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. The last I mean, years. That, that's the game. That is the biggest change is you have to have six backup plans uh, ready at all times uh, because something can happen. Right. Oh, we can't execute that because, you know, uh, you know, 30 percent of the workforce is out on COVID. OK, so, OK, you can't push that. Right. Kind of a thing. Um you know, uh, next one would be, uh, oh, we can't do that because all of a sudden now the chicken suppliers can't get you the chicken. Okay. You know, kind of a thing. Cause you need X amount of pounds more. Um, and they just can't produce it because they don't have labor or they don't have the product or shipping, you know, then we had the shipping issues at the end of last year. Right. Uh, so it just kind of goes on and on and on like that. So as opposed to having, you know, one or two backup plans, now it's like four to six. Um, that's probably the, the biggest change is you just got to be ready to pivot so fast and you got to have stuff in your back pocket, um, or you're going to be in a bad place. How, uh, how different is it now getting feedback from people? I, you know, social media seems to me, if I was a marketer to be both the greatest thing and maybe the worst, uh, just in terms of at least now you don't have to rely on, you know, the comment card on the table or. Some of our friends on the, uh, you know, third party um, review sites who we won't mention my name out loud. Um, but now you can actually go directly to just kind of using different software to see what people are saying about Del Taco or you could pull them through rewards, all sorts of things like that. I mean, is it 
to me, it would feel like there's almost too much information out there, but maybe that's not even a thing if you're a marketer. <laughs> well, social media uh, can certainly be a, um, a um, what's the word I'm looking for here? What's the description I'm looking for here? That can be a, 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 a sea of unknowns. What's really going on if you're listening to all that? <laughs> yeah, uh, but in other cases, Twitter. it can be very known, right? <laughs> Depending on what it is. Um, I would say that um, we're actually in a better place than we've ever been. Uh, and uh, one of the things I talked to my consumer insights team, which is, you know, a couple of people is I said, you know, what we really want to achieve here is being, you know, the best consumer insights team um, ahead of everybody else that's in a mid-sized brand in, in the industry. That's our, that's our goal. You know, we just want to be like way ahead of everybody, right? Uh, so one of the great things about, you know, the, uh, the loyalty platform uh, in our mobile app is that we're able to get immediate feedback. Um, so basically, if you buy any test product uh, and uh, or buy any promotional product from our brand, uh, you will get a, an email or a push notification within one hour uh, after you purchase that because we want to know real time what you thought of that product. Okay. Right. And we are getting very, very large sample sizes. Uh, and my team has set it up so that uh, it's not old school while you uh, wait around for two months to get that report. Uh, actually, it's an immediate live link that they set up for all of us. We can just click on it and see what it is real time to that day of however many respondents have responded and what the actual results were. So we have real-time data in relationship to what that consumer is thinking. Now, that being said, that can still be a little bit, you know, skewed in relationship to, well, that could, you know, could be your core customer or that type of thing, right? So often, depending on what it is, we may go out and buy some panel stuff and get some, you know, additional, additional data as well. Um, but uh, another way we do that to kind of keep it less about the core customer is, um, especially on our test products, uh, we'll, put, we'll put QR codes um, on there as well um, uh, on the packaging and people can shoot that, give us feedback so we can get people outside of the, out of the loyalty database as well to give us some feedback. So, so we're in a really good place actually to get very, very, very quick data or quick, quicker than we've ever gotten it before. Um, it's, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. I mean, push notifications to me feel like the new email my, uh, teenage brother, he's 16. He doesn't even have email. I mean, he doesn't check email. I mean, unless he, you know, gets a job somewhere, I guess he doesn't feel the need to have email. Email is also becoming, you know, as we know, very complicated in terms of Mm -hmm. privacy laws and filters and all these things, very tough to reach people consistently there, but they all have cell phones in their pocket. Right. So, yeah. Got to launch an app here at QSR. Um, <laughs> some will think about, but uh, but Tim, I want to just kind of to close here. Um, let's open the floor in terms of you know what's maybe the one thing you're most optimistic about. You know, going forward, I, I like to believe we've kind of passed the uh, darkest of the days here in the restaurant industry world. So look forward to uh, 
happier times. So what's what's the one thing really you you've got kind of the optimism arrow pointing upward on? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if we were past the darkest days yet, but <laughs> hopefully the darkest days. Well, yeah, we got other things. There's always some issue going on. Of course, right now issue. we got global things that are right, crazy, right. but. Well, I think the two the two things is number one is being around the restaurant industry for a very long time is we're a very resourceful industry, right? We are, we we're just full of a whole we're a big old mess of entrepreneurs, you know, hanging out together trying to figure out you know the next answer, you know, and um, and you certainly saw that uh, during the during the heat of the pandemic, everything from all the technology that you saw to the ghost kitchen stuff that you saw. Right. I mean, people were just figuring it out, you know, um, uh, for the casual dining folks, you know, building their outdoor experiences, especially in, you know, urban areas, putting them in the middle of the street and everything like that. I mean, you know, everybody's figuring it out and they were fighting, fighting to keep their business moving. Um, And you really saw that spirit and everybody banded together to make that happen. So I think that that spirit that drive, that entrepreneurialism that's just inherently in our business is certainly, you know, part of the great, great hope for moving forward. Um, and I think the other area uh, certainly is, is, you know, we're, we're seeing in theory, not an epidemiologist or anything like that, but, you know, the pandemic starting to get towards the endemic. I don't think it's there yet, but starting to get towards that area and, you know, all the original projections that different economists and different folks talked about when we were originally looking at this is that it would probably take till 2023 to get to sort of some sort of normalization, real normalization. And, uh, and I think you're starting to see, you know, kind of get down that road. We'll see with variants um, and how that works. But once we get down that road, you know, we'll all be in a, in a much happier, happier place. We're of course hurting right now because of supply chain issues, cost of goods, oil, that kind of thing. Um, but that always balances out a little bit down the road. Um, and that generally takes a number of months to a year, two years to happen. Again, seems to point towards two, 2023 being a sunnier place. Yeah, I guess uh, of those things happening now, the one I, I don't have a timeline for is labor, which maybe never balances back, <laughs> um, at least to where it was. You know, obviously we've talked a lot about how it's changing yeah. and the mm-hmm. role of things like automation and just the different ways that restaurants have become more efficient to operate with fewer employees with the same amount of hours and mm-hmm. all that kind of fun stuff that you all deal with well, on a daily basis. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, everybody needs to remember restaurants always lag in technology, right? So so, you know, manufacturing has already gone through this, you know, in relationship to as labor prices or labor costs increase, how you do automation, that kind of thing, years and years and years well in advance to us. And, and so now that's coming into play here where we're starting to see, you know, more automation, uh, more opportunities in that area uh, come forward. But yeah, labor is not going to not going to go backwards in a real big way. Uh, and not necessarily all commodities will go backwards in a real big way, real fast in, in the near future as well. Um, so, you know, we're going to, but we'll all normalize to that at some point, right? Uh, we'll normalize yeah. up. Yeah. I think restaurants are kind of following uh, retail's uh, example here a little bit 
you know, when you go mm-hmm. in a lot of retail stores now, there are more scanners for you to find out how much something costs than there are people for you to ask. Uh-huh. <laughs> Target, That's right. You know, so well, and let's just, let's just go to airport, right? I have to do all the work at the airport now. Uh, yeah, I know. I got to uh, check myself in. I got to pay. I got to, I got to weigh my bag. I got to do everything now, you know, whereas that wasn't the case, what, six, seven years ago. Now yeah. you do all the work and yeah. Yep. All of this is very true. Uh, quick serves. I think one of the key things in labor right now is for them, not, not just to recruit in all those things and to retain, but also just to make the jobs within the restaurants more enjoyable for the people who do come to work there. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and he was saying he loses four employees a week. This is just a single unit place, you know, and it's like, well, you know, it's a really hard job. We're asking them to do a lot of things, a lot of information they're processing and, you know, their thoughts a lot of times nowadays, I can go do something a lot easier. So if you can put them in front of guests, which a lot of people love doing, they're drawn to hospitality, you probably have a better chance of them sticking around. And if that means a robot is flipping uh, burgers at White Castle, then so be it, I guess, right? You know, yeah. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. But, you know, again, there's always that balance, right? You go, well, there's the robot thing over there, but, you know, let's, Let's go back to, uh, you know, when millennials started to take over the world and uh, it was all about the craft, little craft restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the chef and there's not going to be any automation. There's always going to be that experience that you're going to be looking for that. And, you know, again, I've lived in, you know, the casual dining world, um, you know, and uh, customers, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> really enjoy the art of cooking and, and the experience. And that's always going to be there. Haven't got as much of that over the last two years because I couldn't go there and experience that as much, you know. Um, but that has a lot of really great value. So they'll, you know, there'll be balance. Uh, but QSR probably will move into definitely more automation um, uh, for uh, cost of labor and also convenience and speed for the customer, which is always what QSR is offered, right? That's why you go there. Right. Aside there, uh White Castle, they're actually cooking uh, French fries, not burgers. So don't don't get upset with me. <laughs> um, they're cooking something that involves uh, heat. But anyhow, uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate all your time and insight. Um, you know, again, we'll be following Del Taco, and you know, if there's anything you want to say to people in terms of where they might find you on social or their email or just on the website, if you don't want to give it your email, which I probably wouldn't do. <laughs> um, you know, go ahead. Yeah, well, you can always find me on uh, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you know, you just type my name in there, and there I am uh, on social. A uh, little bit out there on Twitter and that kind of a thing. And uh, a little known fact is uh, my my hobby is triathlon. Huh. Uh, so if you uh, are into that, you can always follow me on um, Instagram, and my uh, handle there is Old Guy Who Tries. <laughs> I feel like people say that about me and I'm 36. Uh, also not running triathlon. So uh, we salute you here. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, Tim. You know, for everyone listening, we always appreciate it and we'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks guys.